Welcome to episode two of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler. You can find me on the web on Twitter at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. And today I'm joined by one familiar face, Peter Mayo. Hey everybody, how are you guys doing today? Where can they find you on the web? They can find me at P DeMayo, which is P-D-I-M. A-I-O. And last week you got that wrong, didn't you? I did. I suggest that people follow me at Pete DeMeo. So if there's some guy out there that is on Twitter at Pete DeMeo, he's just got like a thousand new followers. Clearly has a lot of fan mail he has to deal with. Asking about all kinds of OTA-related issues. Yeah. Okay. Well, congratulations. Pete, I feel bad for Pete DeMeo. He's overwhelmed right now. Okay. So don't follow Pete DeMeo? It's P. DeMeo. Just Pete my initial. DeMeo. Okay. All right. And I have two new Fueligans with me today. They're not new to the Fueligan family, but they're new to the podcast. First is our resident analytics guru, Melissa Kavanaugh. Hello. And where can they find you on you the web? You can find me at Twitter at M.A. Kavanaugh, which is the hardest spelling of any last name. It's M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. Wow, that is pretty tough. Last week tough. we had Misha Bakikio, and that's probably just as difficult. Except she doesn't use her full last name. That's true. Because she's smart. You should do the same. Should you should be marketing same. Melissa. Yes. Okay. And then finally, but by no means least, we have Alyssa Fate. Hello. And where can they find you, Alyssa? They can find me on Twitter as well, at Alyssa Fate. And I probably have one of the easiest last names to spell. It's their fate to find me. F-A-T-E. Okay. And it's Alyssa with a Y. Okay. F-A-T-E. Okay. Good. That is pretty easy to spell. Congratulations. All right, so today's topic is going to be email marketing. Uh, we're going to kind of dive into that as much as we can in the 30 minutes or so that we have for the podcast. Um, and I figured we'd start by talking a little bit about how important email marketing is. So, Melissa, I'm going to throw it over to you as an analytics guru, the person that gets to see how everything we do from a marketing perspective works. How important, where does email stack up compared to, say, pay-per-click and, and some of the other tactics that hotels can use? Email marketing by far is the best hands down uh, ROAS that you can get. It's your owned asset. It's your own client database. Uh, it has, from what we've seen across many, 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 many clients and many years, it has the best conversion rate when done correctly um, uh, over anything else. The only thing that comes close to email marketing of your own database would be brand PPC. Yeah, definitely so. And it varies a little bit, obviously, depending on the type of property. If, if, yes. If you're not in a repeat destination, if you're kind of a, an island where people go once in their lifetime, it, sure. it diminishes the, the importance a little bit. Or, or if you're a flag, um, there, there can be some challenges there with, with restrictions. But generally speaking, we do see that email is by far the number one. Um, in, in marketing... Email marketing is often done right, but sometimes is done wrong, and even sometimes by the, the big boys, right? So, Melissa, you have a little story for us about a recent stay, a recent trip that you took. I do. I recently stayed at the Venetian for the Adobe Digital Marketing Conference out in Vegas. Um, it is the second largest hotel, I think, in the country. Um, clearly, they should have enough marketing dollars to do what they do well and do it well. Um, but I received a pre-arrival email that said, 
your Vegas countdown begins now. And at the top of the email was supposed to be a giant countdown clock. And instead of a clock, it just says N-A, 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 N-A. Uh, clearly, something went awry with that email. Um, I actually did tweet at the Venetian just for the heck of it, because why not? Um, and they responded, apologized, and said, you know, they would address the situation. But, um, you know, how many other people have gotten that email and gotten a negative response because of a poorly executed email? So I got a theory. I don't know if it was N-A-N-A. I think they were singing at you. I think it was like, na-na-na-na, <laughs> na-na-na-na, or something like that. That's what I would be singing at my coworkers who couldn't go. But there why would they be singing that at me? I don't know. So did you offer them fuel services? I did, but they did not yet accept. <laughs> but at least, you know, they know who we are now. Right. That concept, though, of, of showing a countdown, I, I do like that countdown. Alyssa, don't we have a couple of clients that are using that? We do, and it kind of creates some urgency with their customer base, and the customer feels like, oh, if I don't book now, I'm definitely going to miss out on this special. Yeah, yeah, I like that. We've had uh, definite success on probably best converting emails on those type of, you know, this is a 36-hour deal or a 72-hour deal. Those tend to go over very well. Right. Yeah, in all those instances, you know, a lot of people haven't adopted the countdown timers, animation, and things like that because it wasn't very long ago where those things were, you know, strictly off limits from an email marketing perspective. You do not do animation you do not do any you know fancy script on your files that's all changed that more people have adopted you know web-based email clients it gives us a lot more capabilities as email marketers and you know hotels who are on it have realized that and are reaping the benefits assuming they don't do in a in a in a <laughs> yeah and and we understand that. i mean it's technically it can be very complicated when you're personalizing and targeting emails so we understand that mistakes happen, so hopefully Venetian has straightened that out. Um, didn't you have another issue that, that came up in a recent stay, Melissa? I did. Four days after I stayed at the Venetian, I got another email. And to be honest, I'm not entirely sure if this is meant as a follow-up email or if it's just a generic email. That in and of itself makes me a little weird. But the email says, arriving early, check in at 10 a.m., upgrade to the smart plan and get more of what you love. Wait, wait, wait. You just said you received this... Four days after I stayed. So they're telling you about the check-in process after you've already stayed? Yes. Okay. So clearly there's, there's some issues there. Agreed. And we don't want to pick on the Venetian per se. I mean, we, we see this in a lot of other places. I, I know a lot of people have you know, said, hey, we're getting these kind of emails that are personalized, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, I mean, I think that's, you know, it's not the Venetian. It is an industry-wide issue where, you know, people do build great targeted campaigns, automated campaigns. But what they forget is, even though it's an automated campaign, you still have to pay attention to it. You have to audit it and test it. Yeah. They try to go with a set it and forget it yeah. approach. And you, you, trust but verify is probably a better approach. Yeah. And what it really takes is going ahead and, you know, booking a vacation as if you're a guest at your own hotel and seeing what you actually get. Yeah. You know, a lot of times, you know, even when you... You proof an email in you know, your email delivery platform. Everything may look fantastic, but it really takes it going to that extra step, putting in a physical credit card, booking it, and then watching all the emails that you get from that transaction. It's really insightful. You'll be surprised how many 
you know, little bugs you can pick up on, but I'd rather have, you know, the hotel or us pick up those bugs for a customer versus the guest themselves. Right, and it's important not to just test it that one time when it's first launched, to, to have a schedule, right, to put it on your calendar and test mm-hmm. it multiple times throughout the year yeah. and make sure, with different names, you know, making sure, you know, we see sometimes, you know, because they're pulling data in and sometimes data is not always predictable. So if someone's a junior, right, their last name or their first name might have a comma in it, you know, and, and that can break some kind of mm-hmm. data feed, which can, can throw a wrench yeah. in the works. Yeah, I think it's it's different for email marketing because it's a lot, it seems like it's a very simple process. Everybody gets inundated with emails every day, so they don't really think about how complex it is, unlike something like PPC, search, social, that's somewhat of a newer concept and they're getting their head around it. Mm-hmm. But something like email, even though it seems simple on the, the face, you really have to dig in and pay attention to it, audit the process, and make sure that you're constantly on it, more or less. Right, and I think we're seeing here, and we're talking about a challenge that people have in marketing in general, which is they try to jump to the, the most complex iteration of what they're trying to do without really doing the block and tackle stuff right first. So mm-hmm. let's kind of back up a little bit and talk about the fundamentals of email. So, um, you know, one of the questions we get asked a lot is is about third-party lists, right? I think, Alyssa, you've had a couple of cases where, where folks have asked you about, can we send to a third-party list? I have had a few people ask me about purchasing lists, right. and that's just always a no. And people sometimes don't understand why. And aside from the fact that you can be fined or have major legal repercussions, those people don't want your marketing. They did not actively subscribe for what you are going to send them. So it's just a bad idea all around. Yeah, I mean, email is called permission marketing. And if you don't have the permission... You don't do the marketing. Well, let, let's back up a little bit and look at it from two ways. One, the legal way, right? So there's there's two legislations that people have to pay attention to. One is can spam, the other is the CASL Castle from from Canada. So can spam stands for controlling the, the attack of controlling non- the assault sol- non solicited pornography and marketing. Ads. Right. So if you have solicited pornography, it's fine, but non solicited is <laughs> yeah. not fine. Right. Right. And I love how marketing and pornography are put together in one yeah. bucket there. It but, tells you what people really think yeah. about marketers. It incentivizes you that if you're a marketer, you, you might as well do porn. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that to yeah. any of our clients. Yeah. But um, So really what that came, and that came out in the... In the 2003. What, early, yeah, early 2000s. And it, it really didn't do a whole lot. You know, it basically said you have to have a mechanism to unsubscribe. You have to have a physical address. You have to sort of have permission to send or a pre-existing relationship to send to these people. And if they do request to be unsubscribed, you have 10 business days to to Mm -hmm. adhere to that, right? Beyond that, there are some technical things like you can't use open relays and yada yada, which doesn't really affect anyone. But... There's some confusion, right? Can spam sounds like you can actually spam people. And then the name of it was ridiculous. What they were trying to use, it was a play on the word canning it, like getting rid of it is what the the folks that kind of brought it up suggested. But it's really anemic at the end of the day. Well, it is. I mean, when you, you consider one that this is something that, you know, 
Congress passed without truly understanding the intricacies of email marketing mm-hmm. and what they thought were the the teeth of the legislation were really things that were irrelevant, so to speak. Right. I mean, I can say that this person opted in, and I really don't need much documentation for that. I think Canada did a much better job with the name and with the act itself. Yeah, so Castle, I mean, it affects emails that are um, received or sent within Canada, right? Mm-hmm. So assuming you, and we talk, most of our clients are in North America, so whether you're in the U.S. or Canada, you're probably going to have someone opening one of your emails in Canada. Mm-hmm. So this this law does affect you. And what they tried to do was was be a little more specific about how you get the email address. So to Alyssa's point, third-party lists, you, you, you really can't go buying a third-party list unless you have absolute assurance on the fact that those people said, yes, you can give my email to absolutely anyone. Yeah, I think what you see is CASEL, which stands for... The simply Canadian, Canadian anti-spam yeah. law uh, was completed in 2014. So you have 11 years of technological process or progress before, you know, since the can spam law. So it is much better. It's actually techn- technologically relevant and a much higher bar to, to pass this into them. Right. And, and they're going off to people. I've read a oh, lot yeah. recently where people that don't get um, explicit confirmation that someone wants to receive email permission that they they're going after people so the government is currently going after mm-hmm. people but here's what where it gets really interested in 2017 which is only a year away which when castle came out people were like that's forever away 2017 but now it's only a year away individuals are going to have the right to go after the people sending them spam and sue them which is you know that that opens up a whole bunch of class action lawsuits and litigation so at the end of the day i think Alyssa, to your point let's talk about you know the legal side legal thing issues aside we should look at this from a, a logical commonsensical approach right right so imagine you're a guest at a hotel or not a guest at a hotel and you start receiving these marketing emails from a, a random destination that you didn't sign up for and really, as the hotelier, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're diluting your metrics on every single one of your emails by increasing your list size with email addresses that did not actively opt in. Right, and don't care about your brand or your product, right? I mean, it, it amazes me that how marketers are incapable sometimes of putting themselves in the shoes of their consumer. Everyone complains they get too many emails. I mean, my, my inbox is crazy. And, and Google and these other guys are doing a lot to try to segment the unsolicited emails and all the solicited non-wanted emails. But marketers still try to game the system, still trying to find a way to get in there somewhere and, and communicate to the guest. But they think magically that guest going to respond to them just because they get an email? It, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, it's... I think marketers, they love the size of their database. They love to be able to say, I have you know, 100,000 guests in my database. If those guests aren't getting the emails or don't care about the emails, you really don't have that number of guests that or you're reaching. Or if they were never guests at all. <clears throat> That's very true. Uh, you know, in the case of, you know, I'll use our own internal fuel email, which you can subscribe to at you know, fueltravel.com. 
but just yesterday we unsubscribed 900 customers from our email database because they had not opened an email in over a year and a half. We were sending to these people, but they were either not getting the messages, not caring about the message, but either way, it's impacting the cost of the send, the metrics behind the send, the performance and everything else, that if they don't want it, let's not send it to them. If they want it and they miss it, they'll go ahead and resubscribe when they're actually ready to begin receiving those messages. But before we actually unsubscribed them, we did send them a message saying, you know, was it you or was it, you know, or was it us? What do we do, basically? Mm -hmm. And requested that they click on anything in the email or let us know that they still want to receive those messages. At that point, we had to do the, it's a really gut check, but you have to, you know, part ways with that customer or potential customer if they have never opened a message. Yeah, so, I mean, I think what we're all saying is quality of the list is more important than size of the list, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so how you get those emails, being clear up front that um, what you're going to send them, the frequency you're going to send them, the type of message you're going to send them is, is critical. And, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time experimenting with how to acquire emails, but one of the things we've seen is that um, first-time visitor pop-ups, either straight away or some, somewhere delayed in the funnel, tends to have a better result than, than just a passive email sign up somewhere on the site. So it's not that people don't want to give it the emails, right? It's just they don't they don't always see that sign up. Yeah, and you can be smart about that as well. You have a first visit pop-up. If that person's been to your site several times and you've noticed that they're still not on your email list, mm -hmm. you know, doing a, you know, delaying that first visit pop-up to the third or fourth or fifth visit to the site, depending on what your site metrics say that that person's typical conversion point is, if they're not doing it on their own, you can prompt them with that you know, fourth visit pop-up mm -hmm. that drives them into the list. Yeah, so it's you know there's there's a balance, right? Being too aggressive, being passive. But Melissa, we've done some tests in the past. So the first time visitor pop-up, the concern that I often hear when we suggest that to people is, does that have an impact on conversion rate of the site or you know overall revenue and reservations? Right, and we ran this on multiple sites, and we did not see any negative effect either in bounce rate or conversion rate of bookings. Um, there was only really an upside of more email signups. Right. And if you ask any individual customer, they're going to say they hate pop-ups. <laughs> Thank you very but much. But they work. Yeah. But and, and they tough. work. Yeah. And you can and do we get a 99.9% .9 conversion rate when they pop up? No, we get about a 3 or 4% conversion rate, but that's better than half a percent conversion rate of not having a pop-up. Right. And and it depends, right? The consumers are going to give you an email if they feel like there's value that they're going to exactly. re receive in return. So telling them up front, here's what you receive. Here's how often you receive it. Right. This is what I'm giving you for the privilege of getting your email address. That seems like something we should be testing. What do you mean? Well, I, I mean, that's one of those things where, you know, yes, a first visit pop-up is typically a good strategy, mm -hmm. but that's where A-B testing comes into to effect, especially with email collection. Is, is it a first visit pop-up after the person's been on the site 20 seconds? Is it 10 seconds? There's a lot of testing that can be done there to help maximize your list growth with the most qualified people. 
Yeah, so. we were talking this morning, Melissa, about we're doing running that on a client's website with a delayed pop-up versus an immediate yes. pop-up. It's an eight-second delay. Um, so if they reach the booking engine before that eight seconds, which actually probably a lot of people do, they don't see the pop-up at all. Mm -hmm. But what we saw is that we have a slight decrease in email conversion rate because that percentage of people are probably not getting the pop-up. But we are seeing a slight increase in booking conversion rate. Is it fully 100% to say that that is a causation of the delayed pop-up? We don't know for sure, but we do see a slight uptick in booking conversion rate with the delay. Yeah, and I think when I was looking at the data, it doesn't look like it's statistically enough yet to, to yeah. make a decision. Yeah. We have experimented with other types of first-time visitor pop-ups. We did an animated pop-up on a client's website, and that by far outperformed the original just static traditional so that's the one first that time it shook a little bit when it, it shakes the entire time until you enter your email address in okay. the form see that would drive me crazy but consumers are responding well to it they are responding extremely well to it not only did we see an increase in email conversions but we saw an increase in revenue that's great again i don't know if that's causation or correlation but um you know it, it's good to know i mean i think like Pete said, A-B testing, experimenting with those pop-ups is, is probably the way to go. But then also beyond that, looking at the behavior of the folks that you collect via different means, you know, whether that's a pop-up, whether that's an enter to win, whether that's from Facebook, however you get the email addresses, segmenting those and, and reporting on the open rates, click-through rates from each different source is probably important. So you understand really the value of each type of email that you're collecting. Not all emails are, are equal, for sure. Yeah, and that's a really good point is, well, one, A-B testing is everything. You know, email marketing sounds simple, but when you actually get into the weeds, there's a lot a lot of factors that go into play to, to generate success. But for the profile of the customer, just because a customer may only fill out their email address and their zip code, we have a lot of metadata coming over from the referral session, if we know where they came from our Facebook page, go ahead and flag them in your email database as being from social. If they came from a tagged campaign in Omniture or, or Adobe Analytics or Google Analytics, flag that in the database as well. You know, one thing we're doing for a lot of our clients is there's a hidden field on the email signup forms that passes through the campaign ID of where they came from. And then we can go back to those customers and target them with a specific message for campaign XYZ. Reinforce and, that message. Yeah, and you really see a better rate of return there. Right. All right, so we talked a little bit about list um, and acquisition of emails. And, you know, I, I really believe that a good email campaign is, is really the, the foundation of that is the quality of the list. Um, but once you get the, the emails figuring out the content, what you're sending them and when you're sending it. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. So what are some things you've seen people are doing good and, and some things that maybe aren't so good? Can we just start out with that we want to kill the spray and pray approach? <laughs> yes, yes, we, I think we all agree to that. You have to segment somehow. If you're not savvy enough, we can help, but you have to start segmenting your list because your consumers are not all the same people and they don't want to see the same things. And then not only is it annoying to the, the consumer, it's also really expensive. You know, some of our clients have multi 
100,000 record databases. Mm-hmm. And if you blast that out, you know, in some cases, hotels run on a weekly basis. Yeah. It becomes incredibly expensive to email, especially when you're on a cost per thousand model. Mm-hmm. That gets pretty expensive. So you know, slicing and dicing your list is key. Uh, you know, one of the things that we do specifically is if a person hasn't opened an email frequently, well, then we don't send to them as frequently. We may send to them once a month. For that guy who's opening their emails every week, we'll send to them every week. You know, using the automated metrics and the metrics that you've, you know, collected from that customer, you can really do a, a better job targeting. But from a content perspective, I think you have to step back and really look at what works from an email perspective of the ones you've sent and what customers are interested and just keep pushing those buttons, you know, until they, they actually book. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, a lot of people that we come across and we talk to, they're focused so much on the creative, the aesthetic of the email. So what would you tell, tell those people that are just, I, I care more about what it looks like than anything else? First, you have to get somebody to open that email before they can even look at the creative. So subject line testing is very important. Mm -hmm. And get creative with it. We have a client, they do internal subject line contests to see, you know, what they can come up with and what works best. Yeah, and and some people send like a 50-50 split of a subject line and then Mm -hmm. apply that to future emails. I'm a big fan of the the real-time experiment, right? So what we do at Fuel a lot is we'll send subject line A and B to two 10% segments of the list. So 10% get subject line A, 10% get subject line B, and then the remaining 80% of the list are going to get the winning subject line. So that way you're optimizing 90% of your list on every single send. Then you can go on and apply that beyond there to the, the future mails. But um, what other kind of testing are we seeing folks doing related to the content? Well, one of the things that we've done recently is, and this goes to Alyssa's point of you know pushing the envelope in terms of countdown timers or animation, we did an A-B test of a animated graphic in the email versus a static graphic. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a trend these days. I'm seeing a lot more animated emails. Well, it is. When you figure a majority of customers are either looking at the emails or vast majorities on the phone, mm-hmm. and then... Beyond that, most people are looking at it on Gmail, Yahoo, or some other web-based client. We can use animated GIFs specifically. In this case, we sent out one version that had the an animated GIF of a golfer. One had a static version of a golfer. The one that was animated had a 21% improvement in click-through rate. Mm-hmm. And that was just one test. We actually followed that up with three or four other tests that all bared that testing result out. Mm-hmm. And as a result... You know, every te- email we do moving forward, we're incorporating animation as much as possible. You know, so playing, play, paying attention to the, the performance, testing, you're going to get a better result. I think that resonates more with the consumer when they open that email. It can be a funny gift or, to your point, the golfer. You know, a guy gets that email of a golfer swinging rather than a static image, and it makes him want to play golf. Yeah, it's more immersive. It pulls him into the email. Redbox does a great job of that. I don't know if anybody gets their emails, but they give a, it's just about every week, which I could see as a good thing or a bad thing because I hold off renting a movie until I get the email, but they always include a three or four day valid coupon code and they always have an actual trailer in the email, mm-hmm. which is really cool. So you, you see it, you're like, I, I kind of want to watch that movie. Mm-hmm. So. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's, that's key. I mean, for me, the content, the most important thing in the content, and, and people ask a lot, how frequently should I send emails? It, it really depends on how much value you can provide to your customer, right? So if you can provide value in the ter- terms of, hey, there's stuff going on you need to know about and you need to come and stay here, or here's a discount that's exclusive to my email database, whatever that value is, making sure that you're not just sending an email to send an email just because it's the the first of the month and I send an email on the first of the month, but making sure there's a reason that they're getting that email and it's just not mailed in. I 100% agree because you're going to saturate that consumer's inbox and they're going to expect your email every week. And if it's not worth them opening, then when it finally is, they're not going to be there to open it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it blows my mind that we've got folks that are maybe a seasonal destination that someone comes and stays once a year and that's it. And yet they're going to send weekly emails every week for the entire year when really that property is only in the mind of that consumer for three to six months when they're during that planning buying cycle. You know, so I'm a big proponent of asking the consumer, sending them questions on a one to one basis and saying, hey, how often would you like, or would you like to receive spring summer deals? Would you like to receive full winter deals? What what is it you want to receive? You know, you're talking about doing a uh, building your list, making the list perform better. What you just mentioned there is an ideal unsubscribe strategy. So when someone does go to unsubscribe from their list, obviously we want them to unsubscribe if they're not interested in our content. But before they do that, see if they're unsubscribing because of the message you're giving them or see if they're unsubscribing because of the frequency or the time of year they're giving a message. From a hotel marketing perspective, if you visited a property in June, you do not necessarily want an email in July about visiting again. Mm-hmm. Find out if that customer is only interested in emails in the month of you know, January through May, and then subscribe them in those periods. The rest of the time, let them take a break. You know when you get them back, they're more likely to book anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. And we're running a little short on time. We were going to dive into um, triggered emails. I think what we'll end up doing now is save that for another future podcast. Um, Because I wanted to get to some customer questions um, or get, or I guess, questions we got via Twitter. So, Pete. Yeah, we got a bunch of questions. Uh, We pulled Tony H or Tony out. I'm not sure how he pronounces the H. I think it's Tony Huh. Okay, Tony Huh out. And his question is, is, what should my open rate slash CTR be? I have a 15 to 20% open rate and a 1% to 2% click-through rate. Is that good? Okay, who wants to take that one? I'll start off. I think the answer is that it depends. It depends on how well your list is segmented. If you are just to blast your entire email database without any cause or you know effect of where who you're sending to, Industry standards would probably say that's about average, but really you would want those averages to be a little higher than that if you're doing a really good job talking to your audience when they want to be spoken to. Yeah, And I also tell Tony to look at it from not just a single email's perspective. Look at it from a perspective of the last couple emails you've sent, what is your open rate and your click-through rate? Because just because someone didn't open this week's email, if you sent one the week before and that person converted well they're still valuable they just they they're still waiting on their shipping to arrive so they're not going to click on another email so look at it from more of a holistic perspective and 
do your segmentation you know, yeah. from that perspective. Yeah, and I, you know, I kind of look at open rate, click-through rate as they're important from a, an optimization standpoint. Those are metrics that you can impact by, you know, we talked about subject line testing, content testing, um, time of day testing, things like that, so you, and, and the actual message within the content. But they're really vanity metrics. At the end of the day, what we really care about is revenue. Right, Absolutely. so making sure that the people that are clicking through are going on to book, and making sure that you're providing them a reason to book through an incentive of some kind is more important. And and you can really affect change in the open and click through rate. You can manipulate those those numbers. You know, one easy way to do that is say I have a, a ten percent open rate now, and then I look at my database, and no one has opened it in the last you know, or 50% of my database hasn't opened it in the last 12 months and I get them off of my list for every send, I've now doubled my open rate to 20%. And you've cut your cost in half. I have cut my cost in half, but but it tells you that that open rate isn't really the metric right. that I should care about as much. So I, th I feel like people are getting hung up on open rate, click the rate, but really they should be focused on the goal, which is getting heads in beds, which is the revenue side of it. So that is about our show for today. Um, I, you know, we probably dived a little bit into email. There's a lot more to talk about, but uh, we're going to have a lot of different subjects on this podcast in upcoming weeks. We'd love to hear from you, the, the listeners. We had a lot of people write in about the first episode and some good reviews. So please go on to iTunes. We're going to be on Stitcher within the week. Um, we're going to be we're on YouTube now. So. We're trying to get this podcast out as many places as we can. We would really love it and appreciate it if you give us your feedback. Tell us what you want to hear. Um, please support the podcast by reviewing um, every episode, telling us what you think. And please submit your questions through uh, Twitter on at Fuel Traveled. But from all us here on the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast, see you next time. See you see later. Ya.